Remember the simpler times in the 90s? The bygone days of Beanie Babies, affordable homes, and endless stream of John Grisham books being turned into blockbusters? Hey, remember Blockbuster? Whether you're looking for a hit of nostalgia, a laugh, or just learning about some of the behind-the-scenes insanity of working in a porn shop the day before Christmas, you have to check out the Talkbuster podcast. An awesome podcast where every episode, Chris Chipman sits down with a guest to talk about the good and the bad of those bygone days. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Axel Wright, and with me as always is... You're really leaning into the Cronkite impression, I like it. I'm trying hard, I'm, I'm, I'm just perfecting it a little more each time, I think. <laughs> like, this time I did this thing where I put pressure kind of like in the back top of my mouth to see if I can make it kind of And you deeper. paused on the transition. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it, I, it's fun. Which I had to pause and go, wait, does our audience know who Walter Cronkite is? And then I remember the end looks like, no, no, our our, our audience is mostly in men in their 30s and 40s. They know who Walter Cronkite that is. That makes me a little sad to hear. It's true, but and no, no offense to anyone who's listening. <laughs> anyway. Oh, no, dude, I, I'm still reckoning that I am entering into my mid-30s. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm still 30. And then I think about like, oh, I am, I am not still just 30. I'm in my mid-30s. I mean, at the very Fuck. least, there's that meme going around that, like, Tolkien didn't write Lord of the Rings until he was in his mid-40s, so... Oh, I don't care so much about that. It's more just being forced to reconcile with the passage of time. That's fair. Like, uh, again, my mindset has been, I'm just 30, and it's like, no, no, that was a while ago, and nothing fucks with that more than I discovered children are a concrete proof that time has passed. Yeah, you have Because you just look at him and you go, oh, no, you're, you're bigger than you used to be. That proves that time has passed. Fuck. Yeah. Anyway, besides impressions and the passage of time marching us on towards inevitable death, how else are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. My mom sent me a care package full of various meads, and I've been drinking through those. Any good? Uh, one I had last night was very good. Can I grab the bar? Well, it was okay. So this one I had last night was called Vikingermis Mjod. Okay, good sign. Name you can barely it's, pronounce. Yep. A Nordic honey wine with hops. And it's based on a recipe from the 1700s. I tried, but I'm likely to not... Uh, hops, oof, no, not for me. But I tried. It was too sweet. It really? was okay. I'm like, mm, that one's a bit, a, a bit too sweet. It's drinkable, but much, much too sweet for me. Mm. And then tonight is more of a commercial one, gypsy something or other, and it just tastes like honey. Ah, I mean, that's should. I have no well, alcohol tonight, unfortunately. It's it's what I would call, this is more of a commercial uh, mead. Mm-hmm. But it comes from our shared home state of Idaho, made with local Idaho-based ingredients. So that's why she's sending it on to me. It's not bad, but also it's much, much too sweet. Uh, my my girlfriend was watching a series of like shorts on, I don't know if it was TikTok or YouTube or whatever. I don't know. All I know is that <laughs> One of them she saw was cursed as hell, and it was someone figuring out how to make mead, but instead of basing it in water, it was based in uh, Mountain Dew. Oh, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? I was watching that, and I was like, this is an atrocity. (laughs) Like, here's me. This is not a dig on Mountain Dew. Side note, I've been brewing my own mead since August, 
we'll see how it turns out. But that is so much sugar that that is that's gonna yeah. fucking make the go crazy. Just to get it to ferment, he had to put like baking soda or something in it to make it less acidic. So that yeah, it... you realize there's like I'm not this isn't anything to do with the Mountain Dew. It's just like from a brewing perspective, like why? Other than I want to see if I can, but yeah, no, I, I didn't catch the brewing. Just oh yeah, I didn't man. catch the end of the video, so I have no idea how it turned out. I just saw the beginning of it. I was like, that sounds. It's fucking. an amazing <laughs> challenge, and if you worked it out right, that would be strong as fuck. <laughs> I believe you. Just given the amount of sugar, but sweet Jesus, trying it, to balance that. It looked like warp fuel when he was working on it with the color, though. <laughs> That'd be oh man. So in high school, I tried to make. I discovered that anything can be fermented, so I tried to ferment Coke. Well, and you talked about how the preservatives and sodas uh, are generally prevent fermentation. That's why he yep. had to add the the basic, uh, like baking soda or something, because those those preservatives only prevent fermenting above a certain acidity level. Apparently, yep. Yeah. No. Long story short, it did not work. I made terrible tasting Coke in my locker. That sounds like a biohazard. Oh, God, dude, I have a couple biohazard stories from my high school days involving my locker, but we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, besides, we can share stories on the next beginning of a buckler that we record. Before we get into anything else, I this is a regular buckler. I get to do... I have the privilege of naming names, right? Yes, you do. Okay, well, those names in this case are part of our illustrious legion, the Patreon, and I actually... All right, you can cut that out later. Anyway, so as reward or and also our privilege to say their names is the very least for thanking them for actually you know contributing to the podcast. And the list I have in front of me is as follows. Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Bay, Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, Derek Takade, and Peter Cook. Now, if you go to Patreon Geeks with Shields, you can join the Illustrious Legion uh, for, you know, a dollar a month. That would be 25 cents an episode. Go a little higher, like $5, and we can overcome Patreon's weird, their particular rules of how they take things. But no pressure. Do whatever you want. But if you want us to read your name, all you got to do is join the Legion. Cool stuff, right? Yep. Great stuff. Anyway, Ulrich, this topic was your idea. So even though I'm the MC of Bucklers, tell us what we're doing. Well, I've been rewatching Sons of Anarchy recently, which is awesome. But it's Hamlet yeah. with motorcycles, so yeah, that show, that show, it, it still fucking is a great show. I'm loving the hell out of it. But it got me thinking. It's like we really do love these kind of crime stories, you know? Yeah. Going like Sopranos, Breaking Bad, The Wire, easy stuff. I mean, let's you just listed. Fur- let's go even further back. But but specifically, you just listed the three shows that are considered by many people to be the literal three greatest television shows ever made. I don't know if I necessarily agree, but I understand the argument for all three of them. But I mean, going even further back, fucking uh, Scarface, Godfather, going even further back, all of the classic Westerns, going even further back, the Pulp Outlaw stories. Hold on. Fun thing about that, though, because if you go far enough back, you start losing out on that and instead you find a lot more shows about like you know the other side of the... now not to say we don't still have that there are plenty of law and orders i mean there's like what fucking like 20 some different law and orders at this point or something but i'm thinking back like 
you know, lawyer shows have always been a thing back in the, yeah. you know, Perry Mason but, time and whatnot. And even those like, westerns you mentioned, a lot of the old ones were more about sheriffs. Yeah, there are peaks and valleys, but there's always been this inherent interest in the kind of the crime world. I mean, fucking going even further back, Five Points in New York was a tourist attraction for people to go and see these gangs. And, well, it was a bit of the gangs. It's been like, oh, man, look at the Irish people. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that one about the Five Points, but... Oh, dude, the Five Points, like, part of what, you know, changed the Five Points was it became such a tourist trap that people's going, it's wrong that people live like this. We should fix this. Ah. Which, the fact that 1,800 people had better social sensibilities than many contemporaries is sad. Well, we don't need to... Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, Ulrich's watching... You know, a crime show, thinking about the predominance of crime shows throughout entertainment history at this point, which is, I do think there's a strong argument that it is more, far more modern, I think. That... Oh, yeah, it, it, it's peaked back around, but my point is it's always kind of been there to some extent. I mean, you can even argue the stories of Robin Hood kind of harken back to, we like the stories of these outlaws. That's a good, old... that's a good example. I have no argument against that. Robin Hood is an old story. And... yeah. But I think and Robin maybe... Hood is a good example. If you want to get down to the basics, because I'm pretty sure the the point that Ulrich kind of wanted to cover is why. Why is this the case? And I think that Robin Hood already is, I mean, we're pretty early in this recording already, but I think that's the good example. Because Robin Hood is a story of you've got a character who is outside of the bounds of law, who does things that you yourself as a person don't want to ever be the victim of his crimes you wouldn't mind being the beneficiary of his crimes but you you don't want to experience real people like that necessarily so you like to engage with the story of that kind of people there's kind a of thrill a... to it which like i'm not a medieval historian that's not my I, I love the medieval period but i'm not gonna say i'm a medieval historian but the amount of like the deep dive into robin hood and the whole thing is super murky because they aren't sure whether the people that started calling themselves Robin Hood or Robin of Loxley were the originators or came about as copycats of Robin Hood. Yeah. It's a chicken and egg scenario. Like, we know these stories were popular in the Middle Ages. We just don't know, was it based on one particular person or did these people base themselves off the legend? Yeah. But I think that, that when you first told me this thought, which was only yesterday. I've only had a day to think about this, and I've been busy, so I haven't thought about it too much. But one of the first things that came to my mind was the simple idea that crime is an aspect of life that the average person doesn't want to actually experience. So seeing it in fiction is a way to explore a aspect of life that is interesting, can have interesting dynamics, without any of the risk or consequences involved with actually dealing with that thing. It's crime. very thrilling. It's like, oh man, I would love to do all these things and not have these problems. It would be so cool. And it, it's, it's well, there's also, in a there, way. There's also a strong power fantasy there. A lot of times oh, when, you've, so. when you've got these crime shows centered around one particularly charismatic figure, it becomes a, well, they can work outside the system and do all these amazing things. And even though I can't, I can still engage in the power fantasy of what this person does. Tony Soprano is probably a perfect example of that. I was going to say, let's cut to the count of dudes that misunderstood the point of Scarface. Oh shit, that's a huge number. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's getting bigger still. How is that possible in the days of the internet? Well, like, 
it's funny because, you know, all these characters, Walter White is the perfect example of that aspect of it. Because Tony Soprano, for all his faults, there is an aspect to how he's written that is aspirational. Yeah, he's a bad guy, but a lot of what's going on with him is a, a journey, a failed journey, admittedly, to be better. Walter White, on the other hand, is basically the complete opposite in that his is a journey of... Well, he was always had an edge of not goodness, and we're watching him embrace it more and more to the point where he just accepts the terrible person he is, and then figures out how to be the best version of that. There's nothing, the only thing aspirational about Walter White is the fact that he is, like, ambitious and driven. But besides yep. that, everything about that show is meant to be, do not be like this man. <laughs> and I think that's the other part, we love a good tragedy and we especially love a tragedy if we got to watch the character build up and like, oh, yeah, they're doing good. Uh-oh, now they're going to get fucked over, and I'm the audience, so I get to watch that fall. Yeah, but I think that, because what you just described there can be true for anything outside of crime stories, but I think what makes crime stories particularly engaging is that, among other things, there's also an aspect of suspension of disbelief being easier because characters, people like that in the real world who operate outside the law your average show watcher, right, doesn't usually engage with those kind of people, especially not organized crime people, which are, you know, a very small minority of reality. So you get to kind of, like, far easier be, start thinking that this is how those things actually operate, which is quite funny when you start actually reading the history of organized crime in a lot yeah. of aspects, because there are a lot of truths, but also a lot of things that an audience thinks that are just not right. <laughs> yep. And like, think, oh, what, for instance, Sons of Anarchy. So when, when you talk about organized crime, outlaw motorcycle gangs are one that I've done some reading on myself, like before Sons of Anarchy was everything, because I have a loose family connection. I don't want to go into specifics. I don't have any family members who are actually in an outlaw biker gang, but we knew people in outlaw biker gangs, several of them. So I have kind of known about it. And one of the cool things about for instance, the most well-known quote-unquote outlaw biker gang is the Hells Angels, which is not really outlaw all the way across. It's got a complicated history. I'm not going to yeah, go into that. Hells Angels are a fun one to dive into. Fun fact, I got a cousin who was a Hells Angel. Yeah, exactly. So it's actually, it's a lot more complicated. But if you look at their history, and there are fluid things to what I'm saying here. This is just based on a couple books I've read, and I don't know exactly how verified they were. But from what I've read, the Hells Angels were basically started by Vietnam veterans and their family members who, after Vietnam, they came home to their, like, suburban areas, and some of the soldiers had, like, brought back methamphetamines, uh, particularly. And then they were trying to, you know, sling those on the streets, and so these people who, like, were veterans and had motorcycles started banding together to beat up and or kill the drug dealers because they didn't want them in their neighborhoods. But over time, that gang that was original purpose was to hunt down drug dealers was engaging with drug dealers so often that some of them, because the motorcycle gangs can be kind of disconnected, that's the whole point of chapters, got addicted and then they became dealers and the whole thing gets muddy after that. But the fact that their initial spawn point was as vigilantes is fucking fascinating, and Sons of Anarchy kind of plays with that by having the Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club Redwood Original be very anti-drug for most of the show's run. And that kind of goes, I don't know, like, The Godfather also did anti-drug, and I do not believe that's based in history as much as it is drugs are nasty and our audiences won't 
identified with them as much. Yeah. It's also funny that I, I went and researched the, you know, the mafia, the classic Italian mafia, and apparently in, like, 2009, I think, there was a the biggest sting in United States history, and something like several hundred mob officers were taken in in the same day in like this giant sting and from my understanding of what i've read organized crime as you think of it in the movies hasn't really existed the same way since <laughs> not not the no, same they, scale anyway they went legit and they went to wall street and discovered there's way more money and way less oversight yeah like there are still a lot of motorcycle gangs there are still mafia if there's any organized crime to my knowledge that still exists on a massive scale it's the cartel, and that's that's south of the border, and that's a whole different can of worms. Uh, there's also the Russian mob, but that's a whole lot of human trafficking. Yeah, but they also don't have a huge, to my knowledge, a huge presence in the states. They have a lot of connections to things going yeah. in the states, but not actually present here very often. Well, out around my area, it is, but that's because of all the shipyards. Mm, true. I'm just saying that the cartel has, to my understanding, well, an yeah. actual fairly strong is presence. <laughs> Anyways, oh, Narcos. Narcos is another great example of we fucking love crime stories. Yeah. I do like that crime stories, it's funny because mafia crime stories and use The Godfather, which is, you know, the classic, tend to paint Italian mob stuff as being almost f similar to, like, old school knights. There's this, you know, circle of high level people. There's, uh -huh. like, honor codes. There's traditions of how they talk. There's a king. Uh, like,. Fiction tends to portray them in a very interesting light. Even though they're criminals, it's it's using the same iconography as like knights. Whereas the cartel, I don't know why we like it? Yeah. Whereas the cartel, rightly so, is never depicted as anything other than possibly the worst crime organization in the world. Yeah, but I think that's part of the appeal is it's got this structure. And the other thing, like I'm just watching Sons of Anarchy, and he's like, we like this, and we've always liked this because it ticks that little primitive tribal part of our brain that we can clearly look like okay these people belong to this tribe mm -hmm. and they're good and these people belong to this tribe and they're bad and that goes way back to our little primitive monkey brain that is that loves that doesn't love but believes in tribalism as no no i should only stick with my tribe for safety and what's really funny is that all in all my philosophy and I'm pretty sure Ulrich generally aligns with me on this, is that tribalism is kind of fundamentally a source of most of humanity's problems, especially at this oh, yeah, point. Oh, yeah, 100%. But that being said, I am a sucker for loyalty, and loyalty as a concept is one of the most important virtues that a person can espouse. So when I see something like loyalty to something larger than oneself loyalty to a a family or a group or especially when it's not blood related there's this idea of like you choose your loyalties that's super appealing to me i mean again i'm the kind of guy who i never imagined myself as the king but i always imagined myself as a knight as like the top knight like i see myself as lancelot not arthur you know yeah but no everyone has that to some degree because that's our primitive monkey brain that is just hard-coded in there of tribalism and it comes out in varying ways to varying degrees at its most harmless it's sports teams at yeah. its worst it's racism well most harmless outside of or uh, uh you know soccer <laughs> like, i was gonna say sports teams and like 
then there's the whole Philly issue, so... Yeah, but also just soccer, especially in, in certain places. But, but yeah, racism is obviously the worst. For, yes, yes. But I just want to say but, that, like, sports, yeah. sports tribalism is not always harmless. <laughs> but that's just, like, a fun... Like, you look at this and you go, yeah, no. All these shows have clearly defined clans, groups, tribes, whatever your preferred term is that you look at and you go, okay, I can identify this and it just appeases the monkey brain that goes, yeah, no, we should all band together because that's how we keep safe. Mm-hmm. The other our- part, this is lizard brain, violence. <laughs> we love violence and crime stories are violent. Oh, and, and sex and crime stories usually yeah. love sex too. Again, lizard brain. Lizard brain loves sex and violence. Yeah, there's not really much needs to ex- be explained about that one. <laughs> nope. Millions of years of evolution cannot erase some basic fundamental building blocks. Yeah. I. But all, all this being said, I still feel like... Because a lot of what we've talked about is true for non-crime stories. Like, the yes. whole idea of, like, tribalism stuff, that could be true for a business biopic. Like, that, uh, that Air Jordan thing that came out last year. Mm-hmm. Like Air. that. Yeah, so... You know, violence and sex, that can be true in spy movies, which are very much adjacent to crime movies, but still, I'd argue the same thing. So I think what makes crime television and movies particularly appealing, where the protagonist is a criminal, and where we're watching crime being done by the characters that we are supposed to be following the most, I'm not going to say necessarily like or empathize with, because again, I think Walter White's entire purpose was to be disliked like you love watching what he does but not meant to emulate him but i think i think the appeal a big part of that is that like ooh, this is literally tickling a specific thing in my brain that i cannot get anywhere else which is i don't want to actually be the victim of or perpetrator of crime so i want to see like what crimes are how do crime how do crimes get done so i can know about them so i can be more safe how what what do criminals look like so i can avoid them uh or or if, if for some reason I need to become a criminal, how can I be a better criminal? Even though yep. TV wouldn't actually usually help you with that. But still, like those kind of you know dark, intrusive thoughts, I feel like, whether you realize it or not, are what crime-focused TV and movies are, are kind of latching on to. And there's the last big thing that we really cannot talk not talk about. We've kind of suggested it. Like, this is laser-focused on for lack of a better word, dudes. This is, yeah. these are, mach- these are machismo stories where we, with they express emotions, it's okay because it's in this contained, like there's sex and violence on either side. It's okay that I'm crying when Opie dies. It is funny. Cause when I think about like Italian mobster stuff, or I think about like Goodfellas, uh, and you know, mm-hmm. or Godfather, it, there's the whole concept of like mafiosos in fiction tend to be a lot more, emotive with each other there's a certain tough guy bravado they have to put on but like yep. there's you know a lot of hugging and and kissing weirdly but that's just yep. like italian culture and so yeah so i i guess you get to see i i don't know i feel like i don't feel comfortable saying too much about that because i'd want to see like uh, a lady who's like a big fan of like guy Ritchie movies or something talk about you know that aspect that you just mentioned that's beyond me <laughs> oh i'm sure it's in there but i mean like the longest running joke of Movies that it's okay for guys to cry at. Godfather, Scarface, Goodfellas, Casino. Yeah. Sure. The only time, the end of Sopranos. 
Well, the end of Sopranos makes those people angry. <laughs> I know. I that was like, okay, who's going to yell at me about the end of Sopranos? Here's my hot take on the end of Sopranos. It's fine. It works. Yeah. It that was the well, ending. Okay, honestly, Ulrich, I feel like that's already far a beaten dead horse. I think I feel like from my experience, the internet has already come around on. I don't know who pointed out first that the entire point of the Sopranos is we're following Tony's potential journey to be better, and once that journey is literally over and his therapist finally cuts him off, there's no more journey, there's no more story. It doesn't matter if he gets killed in the diner because the point of the story is done. <laughs> also love that it ends on Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because it's... <laughs> it's obvious, it's being very clear. <laughs> I know. I just love it again. And no, the internet's now on Game of Thrones. That's the new HBO show everyone hates. All right, and will hate for another decade. Yeah, yeah, fair. A- anyway, I have no additional aspects on this. I love Sons of Anarchy, but I'm also a huge fan of Hamlet, and I I love Breaking Bad. I love Better Call Saul. We didn't even get into the drama, the Shakespearean stuff of it, the fact that a lot of these are modeled on the Shakespeare formula. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of them are loosely modeled, but Sons of Anarchy is just Hamlet. Oh, 100% Hamlet, yeah. They don't even try to hide it. (laughs) Which, we could probably do an episode of why do we keep going back to Hamlet, and the answer is... It's oh, amazing. A really good story. Yeah, because it's because it's, <laughs> it's literally adaptable. Because it's one of the greatest stories ever written by a human being. Like I, I fucking love Hamlet. I wanted to play yeah. Hamlet. <laughs> no, it really is one of those things. Is like the answer, like because it's really fucking good and malleable. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. Oh, I wonder if it'd be a. Good... You know what? I'm gonna hold on to that. <laughs> Listen, if you are a Shakespearean expert or know a Shakespearean expert send them our way i would love to do a deep breakdown of why the fuck we love hamlet and to a lesser degree why we keep coming back to romeo and juliet well i, I understand that one even though i'm not a huge fan of romeo and juliet i, honestly I get feel, it too i honestly I feel like, like we don't come back to the tempest nearly enough but anyway. the tempest is weird yeah that's kind of why i like it though <laughs> i know but the, you can't that isn't as malleable that's fair anyway we're we're rambling we're tangenting and we're past like the 25 minute mark so uh, thank you all for listening. I don't have any final thoughts, Ulrich. No, it's just we we hit it. Violence, acceptable male crying, monkey brain, and vicariousness. That's the yes. my keyword I'll add to it. Anyway, so thank you for listening. Be sure to do all the the things. I, I I'm not supposed to use the 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 content word so do all those things you're supposed to do with that stuff you know sharing liking whatever i don't know what platform you're listening to this on but the more that this gets shared with people the more that it can grow the more listeners patreon subscribers whatever we have and and the more it grows the more we can do and you can find us everywhere we are on every conceivable podcast junket even the ones i didn't even know existed because an rss feed will travel Oh, that's that's fair. As long as it's not, <laughs> and we aren't being hosted on that weird Russian site anymore. All right, but anyway, as always, this has been Axel Wright and his shield brother, Lord Commander Ulrich. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>